Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. It's go time, baby. Monday morning can only mean one thing. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. Welcome to it. Let's kick the week off. Let's talk wrestling. Got a big show today. It's going to be a really fun podcast. Of course, a lot of money in the bank preview to talk about probably do a full Money in the Bank preview on our uh, Patreon uh, podcast on Thursday. Thursday, not Sam Thursday. And then I'm thinking maybe for a certain tier of Patreon members, we do a, a pre-show on Zoom. And we can all get together in Zoom and talk about it. That's over at patreon.com slash not Sam Wrestling. But welcome, welcome, welcome. Here we are. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's a lot of wrestling to watch this week. First of all, there's a lot of wrestlers to watch this week. Of course, last night was the start of it. If you've missed it, you've got to go back. But the season five premiere of Billions starring the one and only Becky Lynch. And it it seems like you keep hearing more and more that Becky Lynch is, uh, is destined for that mainstream success, I guess it were. You know, they're talking about her not only being in uh, in this in in this billion show, but apparently Marvel is is looking at the possibility of having her be a part of their thing. You know, be a part of the Marvel universe. Maybe there's something there for Becky Lynch. It really is amazing, and uh, I'll talk about that a little bit with the guys who did Dark Side of the Ring. They're going to be on the show today, but wrestling has changed a lot, man. And Becky Lynch is. It's really interesting that Becky Lynch is the first person who's really gone through like that since John Cena. I feel like, you know, Hogan tried it, and Austin tried it a little bit, but I feel like Austin was never really into acting. It didn't seem like it was what he wanted to do at this time. But The Rock is the one that really changed the game for everybody. John Cena followed in those footsteps. And I think it's not just wrestlers because it's not like you just decide one day, oh, I'd like to be a famous actor. I think I'll do that. Everybody kind of on some level wants to be a famous actor, right? Except Stone Cold Steve Austin. That's why you got to respect him. Um, But it's not like it's the wrestlers that need convincing. It's the people that make the decisions. It's the Hollywood power players that need the the pushing. It's the Hollywood power players that need the proving. And The Rock not only made it so that wrestlers could see, oh, there's life outside of uh, the industry for us if we can hold an audience's attention the way we've been doing. But The Rock proved to Hollywood that there is a part here that translates. There is a correlation here. I mean, they've, they've been trying to figure that out forever, not just in wrestling with all industries. You know, the YouTubers and, and and people who are big in one medium 
crossing over doesn't always work. You don't, you know, many times you see YouTubers get TV deals. And for some reason, you'd think the medium would be similar. It just doesn't work. But The Rock proved to Hollywood that WWE superstars are something worth looking into. John Cena followed in those footsteps. John Cena followed that mold. Now we see John Cena popping up in movies and commercials all over the place. Very successful acting career so far. And Becky Lynch is the next. And it really is interesting that Becky Lynch, when you really break it down, she is the first big star since John Cena. You know, I think that that Roman Reigns was the attempt. And while Roman Reigns is a big wrestling star, Roman Reigns still has not, and he still could, by the way, but he still has not reached those John Cena, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Rock levels. Roman Reigns is still the guy who clearly the WWE sees as reaching those levels. And I believe has the potential to reach astronomical levels. But he just hasn't penetrated yet. And Becky Lynch has. And Becky Lynch's story is so interesting because Becky Lynch was not, this wasn't what she was designed for. This wasn't the plan for Becky Lynch when she showed up. I, I, I think the story of Becky Lynch, just the idea that it was just a heel turn that happened at SummerSlam and the audience went a different way and the WWE decided to go with it. And it's been almost two years since that heel turn. And look at how much has happened in that two years. Two years or three years? I want to say two years. It really is amazing. But I think that Becky Lynch is the right pick. If, if you were to, and it's amazing for women, but if you were to say right now who is the top star on Raw, Becky Lynch is in the argument. You know, I would say Becky Lynch is a bigger star than Drew McIntyre at the moment. I think that the goal is to make Drew McIntyre a bigger and bigger star, but I'd say Becky Lynch is a bigger star. I'd say Becky Lynch is a bigger star than Seth Rollins globally. Outside of wrestling as well as inside of wrestling, I'd say Becky Lynch is one of the biggest stars in the company. And, you know, she deserves to be exactly where she's at. And and I'm really interested to watch how this translates. I think that I think that even in Hollywood, one of the things that that goes through is this ability to connect with an audience. And that's what The Rock had, and that's what and still has, and that's what Becky Lynch has. That's why Becky Lynch is as big as she is, because she's able to connect with the audience like very few people are. And there's no reason to think that if you have the ability to connect with an audience like that, that it would be limited to pro wrestling. So I'm very eager to see what happens with Becky Lynch as this uh, new leg of her career kicks off. But uh, yes, billions last night. So check it out on demand if you missed it. Speaking of people using other talents. I've been talking for weeks now on the podcast about how Something that needs to be happening while we're stuck in this quarantine era of wrestling, while we're stuck in this era of wrestling where we can't have audiences in buildings, where wrestling looks so different, where one of the most exciting parts of wrestling, the audience reaction is gone, is that the product needs to change wholly. And maybe there are parts that will change forever. I mean, look, even as stuff starts to open up again, it's not like everything's going to open up all at once. We've got a long haul before life returns to business as usual. So in the meantime, I believe changes have to be made to the traditional wrestling product as we know it. And I think what needs to be changed is, as I've been saying, there needs to be less wrestling on TV, not less wrestling shows. I'm not saying that WWE needs to shorten Raw by an hour or that 
it should just be Raw and not Raw and SmackDown and NXT. No, I'm fine with three shows a week. I'm fine with a three-hour Raw. Do what you're going to do. The more WWE on TV, the better as far as I'm concerned. I have the WWE Network because I want the option to be able to watch WWE 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if that's what my little heart desires. But I think on those shows, there needs to be a lot less wrestling. A lot less wrestling. The more wrestling that you have on these shows, the more it draws attention to the fact that there's not an audience. The more wrestling there is on these shows, the more it lets the world know that we're missing something. What it does is it points out a negative. It points out something that we don't have. I think the shows need to take a lesson from WrestleMania and the big takeaways of WrestleMania, which were Firefly Funhouse and which were the Boneyard match, and take a lesson from those. When you watch those matches, you're sitting there going, and I use matches the term loosely, but when you watch those segments of television, you go, oh, well, maybe everything happening with this quarantine in terms of producing this product isn't bad because I'm so glad that these two products exist. I'm so glad that the Boneyard match exists, and I'm so glad that the Firefly Funhouse match between John Cena and Bray Wyatt exists, and those two things wouldn't have existed had it not been for quarantine. So if you're going to present a product that's pure escapism, why not present it in a way that makes you go, oh, this is good, if not better. I think that when we watch Money in the Bank, I think that we're, I think that we're going to love the Money in the Bank match happening in Titan Tower. But I think that, that this sort of outside-of-the-box way of presenting pay-per-view matches has to translate more to TV. I think that uh, on Raw two weeks ago, the Viking Raiders in the car, as confusing as it was, is still something. It's still something that draws your attention to it, and it's still something that looks different. I think I, I, I was hoping that I'd see more Viking Raiders in the car so you could try to explain to me what that was all about. I was disappointed last week when I saw the Viking Raiders cutting their promo backstage. I wanted to see, you know, with their helmets on and everything. I wanted to see the Viking Raiders in the car doing Viking stuff while they were driving. As much as that was a weirdo segment, I want to know why. Where is it going? Maybe it's going to turn into something good. And it gets us out of the performance center. It gets us away from the idea that there's no audience because why would there be an audience in the car with the Viking Raiders? I think that's the stuff. I think pre-recorded off-campus stuff should take up way more airtime than it is. I think you can get superstars that are not in the building, that are not traveling to Orlando for whatever reason, when you have a limited roster in that building, send a camera to Kevin Owens' house and have him show us what the world looks like in the Owens' household. We hear about his family all the time and how he does everything that he does for his family. Let's see him with his family. Let's see his kid playing with a Seth Rollins action figure and let's see Kevin Owens break it. Let's see something happening in the Owens' household. As I said a couple weeks ago, let's see Aleister Black hanging out in Titan Tower, finding all the dark nooks and crannies that are there. What really got me going on this is I was watching Carmella's Twitter. And on Twitter, Carmella has been doing impressions of everybody. And she's been doing impressions of uh, a bunch of the, of the women on the roster. And she's doing them TikTok style. 
where she's lip syncing their promos, but she has a lot of the nuance of what they do, their mannerisms, down, cold. And then she puts on these ridiculous costumes when she does it. And what really sold me was Sunday, she posted a video of her impersonating the shield. And I loved the Rollins thing. She blurred out her face for Ambrose. But when she started doing Roman and she started doing Roman's hand gestures, I was like, oh my God, she had this curly wig on and the goatee. But I'm like, why wouldn't you just let Carmella do those on television? And you don't even have to do them in the building. Do them TikTok style. But do them on television and have Michael Cole make it weird. Have Michael Cole say, oh, it looks like we've got word from Roman Reigns. Maybe you don't want to mention Roman Reigns on TV, but you could do whatever else. Maybe that's how you further this thing with Sheamus. Oh, we've got some words coming from Sheamus. And then we go to Carmella, who's in her house, doing a weird Sheamus impression, and we all laugh at it because it's funny. And then Sheamus can come out and 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 do something else or or whatever it is. I mean, I just I think the the content that Carmella and other people are putting out on social media is the content that should be on television right now, at least to some degree. You could switch it up a little bit, make it a little bit more TV friendly, maybe, but do it outside of the performance center. I think that if you put a fresh face on all this stuff. You'll make people tune in. I think that I, I don't think that people are going to tune in in huge numbers to watch long matches in front of no people. I think people are going to tune in because they hear some like ridiculous vignette went down, or Carmella's doing impressions, or Kevin Owens was at his house, or you know, I mean, use this time to instead of just having Apollo Cruz. So the story of Apollo Cruz has been told in a way where all of a sudden he's really good at having matches and he's beating people, and then he gets injured. And it's like, yeah, okay. And and it's working. People are behind Apollo Crews. I'm interested in the Apollo Crews story. I was bummed to find out he wasn't going to be at Money in the Bank. But at the same time, there's part of me still asking, why all of a sudden is Apollo Crews still good? Like, I've seen him be bad at wrestling on SmackDown. How did he get good all of a sudden? You could tell that story outside of the Performance Center. You could tell that story in a gym. You could edit together. Maybe Apollo Cruz's promos aren't the greatest things in the world. But if you pre-produce them, they can be. Edit together a thing in the gym of him training, of him practicing his wrestling moves, of him, you know, get across. Explain to me why I should like Apollo Cruz in a pre-produced piece. I just had another uh, another one uh, in my head, but all this, all all this stuff. I mean, that's what made Boneyard and Firefly so great was that we weren't reminded that, oh, this would have been even better. As good as this was, can you imagine if the crowd reacted? Well, no, because the crowd never would have reacted because the matches were being presented in a different way. And I think the rest of of television, of wrestling TV needs to be presented in a different way. Short matches that get us to where we're going. I don't mind the long matches at pay-per-views. I mean, I mean Iron Man matches, but I don't I don't mind having matches with consequence at pay-per-views that are 20 minutes long. That's fine. But I just think you'd have more people interested in TV if you put 
89% of the emphasis on television on storylines and 11% on wrestling. Think about those shows leading up to WrestleMania where there was very little wrestling and people were going, wow, those promos are good. The Edge promos, the Randy Orton, the Seth Rollins, the Kevin Owens, they were all so good. Even the contract signing on Raw this week was really, really good, or last week, I guess now, was really, really good. And I'm so sick of contract signings, but I thought the Rollins-McIntyre contract signing was by far the best segment of the show. It actually got me excited about the match at Money in the Bank. And I've seen a million contract signings. But the fact that they were able to get their points across and we could listen to them and they could tell a story is what me and Kaz were talking about on the podcast not too long ago. That that it, it got you to this point where you were like, oh, now I can kind of lock in on what these characters are doing. I don't miss the crowd when those promos are really good. I miss the crowd in the matches. That's why I think there should be less matches. And that's why I think we should be taking advantage of the fact that there have to be less matches and just getting really creative and really weird and really outside of the box with the stuff that we're doing. That's all. We got a couple big shows this week, though. We've got a huge NXT this week. And we've got a, a Money in the Bank pay-per-view. So NXT this week is going to be massive. Um, I think, so you've got... Uh, Adam Cole versus Velveteen Dream and Io Shirai versus Charlotte. Now, you might think I'm breaking my own rules here, but I think the NXT thing is a little bit different because NXT doesn't have takeovers right now to build to. You just have these big TV nights. So I think that NXT, while I do think there should be a lot less wrestling on NXT, I think they should be building to, their TV should be building to nights like this, like this Wednesday, when you've got one big TV show. Um... I think that, that the show should be centered around those two matches primarily. You know, I don't think you should have a bunch of other stuff going on. I think that there's two things you should do here. I think that uh, Io Shirai and Charlotte should tear the house down. I think Charlotte does need to keep the NXT title for now because if Io Shirai just gets it, it's almost like, why did you even, why even have, like it kind of goes, what were you doing with Rhea Ripley? Why did you have her lose only to have Charlotte lose to EO? It, it wouldn't make any sense. But I do think that EO needs to have the match of her life on this week's NXT. I mean, I think that this is the match that you need to be talking about when you're leaving. And honestly, I think it's time to make an impression. I think it's time to remind the world that NXT is on Wednesday nights, even though there's no audience. I think it's time for Velveteen Dream to walk out with the NXT championship. I think when you don't have takeovers and you're not building to pay-per-views, I think it's important to remind people that the NXT weekly television show is the most important stop for NXT. And that means anything in the world could happen on these TV shows, including something as rare in NXT as a world title change. I think Adam Cole should drop the title to the Velveteen Dream on Wednesday night. You know, I, 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 I like Adam Cole as champion. I would love for him to win it back. But look, now you're sitting there going, okay, what's to happen with the Undisputed Era now? They've now, they went from having all the titles to none of the titles. Do they have to reformulate? Does it start to look different? Do they break up? Do they stay together? What's, 
happening with Velveteen Dream now. He went from being an underdog to being fan-supported to, to being a guy who was really there to showcase other people on takeovers to now being the champion of the world. What does this mean for Velveteen Dream and Adam Cole? What does this mean? There's so many questions to be asked. If you end the show with the Velveteen Dream winning the NXT championship, it'll be something that everybody's talking about on Thursday morning, and it'll be something that makes people tune in next Wednesday to find out what does NXT look like with the Velveteen Dream as the champion. I think that's the move for me. That's what I would like to see as an NXT fan. I think Adam Cole is a better champion. I think long-term, I'd much rather see Adam Cole as the face of the brand. But I think for what's going on right now and for where we're at and for uh, to help everybody involved, I think the most helpful thing you can do is have Velveteen Dream win the NXT championship on Wednesday. Uh, we also found out Jimmy Uso's out for six months, I think. That's what the internet's saying, which is tough because the Usos never haven't really gotten the chance to rebuild the momentum that they had before they left last time. So for Jimmy to be out for six more months is, is almost like you're going to be starting from scratch all over again six months from now. But hey, hopefully six months from now we'll be in a different world and uh, wrestling will look a little bit more like we're used to in the past. Speaking of wrestling not looking like we're used to, Money in the Bank is, of course, this weekend. As I said earlier, we'll probably do a, a more long-form breakdown of everything we can expect on Money in the Bank on Thursday on Patreon. But coming up uh, at Money in the Bank, I'll tell you, I'm very excited about the two ladder matches. And I'm excited about Drew versus Seth. You got Bailey versus Tamina, SmackDown Women's Championship. Like, okay. Becky Lynch, as of now, is not defending her women's championship. I don't really think she's been on TV since WrestleMania, maybe for one promo. But that's it. She tweeted about being part-time. Yeah, you are, Becky. Yeah, you are. Good for you. Uh, SmackDown tag title match. New Day versus Miz and Morrison versus Forgotten Sons versus Lucha House Party. I think New Day's got to keep the tag titles. If you're going to put the tag titles on New Day, I would say they should keep them. Um, but that'll, that'll probably be a pretty good match. Braun versus Bray, I think they need to do a little more storytelling with. It feels a little rushed right now. I think they got to spend some time on Friday selling me on this thing, to tell you the truth. Because right now, I'm like, yeah, no, I remember when, when Braun Strowman was in the Wyatt family. Other than that, you know, I'm not quite there yet. Especially coming off of how great WrestleMania was for, for Bray. And then, yeah, and then the matches that I'm excited about. Drew versus Seth. I think it's a great combination. I think Seth, I think Seth is great right now as a bad guy. And I think he's the perfect challenger for Drew at the moment. I I, I think they've got good chemistry uh, in their promos and whatnot. I think that the, the contract signing was amazing. So I'm good with that. And it was announced on SmackDown, by the way, that as Kaz and I spoke about, the Money in the Bank matches will apparently happen simultaneously. Now, what they haven't made clear is where are the other matches taking place? Is Braun Bray, Bailey Tamina, Drew Seth, and the four-way tag title match, are those happening at the Performance Center? I would almost advocate to do the whole pay-per-view on the roof of that building. I mean, why not? I, I think that... And you might go, well, it might take the specialness out of the Money in the Bank ladder match, but I don't think so because a key part of the Money in the Bank ladder match is happening at the corporate towers, as they're calling it, is that it's starting from the ground floor. 
So it's not like you're just watching a ladder match on the roof. Which, by the way, if it were just a ladder match on the roof, I'd be perfectly fine with that. I think it's going to look amazing. But what we're seeing is six men and six women simultaneously fighting through an entire office building. Them getting to the roof and grabbing that ladder is just going to be icing on the cake. So I think it's going to be different enough having them in that building. I would advocate for having the other matches happen on the roof. I would close the show with the simultaneous two Money in the Bank ladder matches happening. Uh, and by the way, I think that that's the only way to do it, to do them simultaneously, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. Uh, because otherwise, you're going to have the women smash up the building and kind of reveal everything there is to reveal and then have the men come back and do it again, you know, an hour later. Doesn't make sense to me. So I like the idea of having it happen simultaneously. I think that we're going to be, you know, going back and forth and back and forth and this shot and that shot and this shot and that shot. We're going to be telling many stories simultaneously over the course of, of, of this event, which I think is awesome, which I think is great. And who knows, maybe they start the money in the bank match on the ground floor. And while that's happening on the ground floor, maybe there's, you know, Braun and Bray are happening on the roof and you're going to go back. I mean, who? I don't think so. I would rather see the ladder matches both happening, you know, this is there a lot of time. But who knows? I do think, though, I actually think if you have the matches happening on the roof, then it does build anticipation for what you're going to end with, which is the ladder match happening throughout the building. I would advocate for that to happen. Uh, when you look at who do I think is going to win, who do I think is going to go home with that Money in the Bank ladder match, uh, with that Money in the Bank briefcase, I, I should say. You've got Asuka, Shayna, Nia Jax, Dana Brooke, Lacey Evans, and Carmella in the women's match. I mean, I think it's going to be Shayna walking home with the briefcase. I think that that's kind of the no-brainer, especially after what she did in the Elimination Chamber. I feel like this is how it would happen. Like I feel like Dana Brooke's probably going to get her arm broke on the ground floor. Somebody else, maybe Asuka's going to get it. Oh, Carmella's probably going to get her arm broke on a second floor. Maybe Lacey Evans gets her arm broke on the third floor. Asuka gets her arm broke on the walkway to the, to the ring, to the roof. And then you've got Shayna and Nia squaring off in the ring. And then Nia gets her arm broke before Shayna goes up. I don't know. Uh, maybe not. Maybe Shayna's not going to break everybody's arm. But... I do think that'll be a good way, a, a good storytelling process. But I, I think Shayna Baszler will probably win. It could be Lacey Evans. If, if you want to have a good guy on SmackDown with the briefcase, it could be Lacey Evans. But I think Shane is probably the more realistic pick. Either one of those two. For the men, you've got Otis, Daniel Bryan, Rey Mysterio, Aleister Black, and Baron Corbin. Um, stranger things have happened than Otis winning this briefcase, okay? Stranger things have happened. I don't think it'll happen, but there have been stranger things. If I had to pick right now, I would think we're going to have a gauntlet match tonight on Raw. No, we don't know who's in it yet. I would not be surprised to see uh, Jinder Mahal win the gauntlet match on Raw and then go to Money in the Bank and win the briefcase. I would not be surprised to see Jinder Mahal walk out of Money in the Bank with that briefcase. If I had to pick one person now, that would probably be my pick. Second place is Aleister Black. Third is Otis.
believe it or not. I think that I think Otis is more likely to win than Brian, Ray, or Corbin. I hope Corbin doesn't win. It didn't work out for him last time. It left a bad taste in my mouth. I think Corbin needs another refresh. I, I think very, very highly of Baron Corbin. But I do think he needs a bit of a refresh. Um, so that's what I think is going on uh, with Money in the Bank. Uh, we have uh, even more wrestling content, though, coming before then. Of course, Dark Side of the Ring is on every Tuesday over on Vice TV. And they've they've had some amazing, amazing documentaries this season already. It's a 10-episode season. Every week they're doing an hour-long episode. Uh, the Dr. D, David Schultz, John Stossel show might have been my favorite of the season. It was really, really good. They did an episode on Brawl for All. They did an episode on Dino Bravo. They're doing a whole bunch of them, and they're they're just so good. Any, if you haven't seen them, make sure you watch them all on demand. I can't imagine a wrestling fan not liking them. The New Jack one is incredible. But this week... They're doing a show on uh, Herb Abrams. Herb Abrams was a promoter who ran a promotion called UWF. Um, And there are so many legends about Herb Abrams that it's hard to keep them all straight. But in terms of actual facts and in terms of actually knowing his story, I really don't. And that's one of the reasons why I'm looking forward so much to this episode of Dark Side of the Ring. I know the legends and I know the bits and pieces and I know some stuff that could be true and some stuff that could not be true. But I'm really interested in 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 hearing the story finally packaged all together. And that's what they're doing on Dark Side of the Ring this week. Uh, I decided to reach out to Evan Husney and Jason Eisner, who are the people behind Dark Side of the Ring, because I basically wanted to pick their brains not only about this season— but about Herb Abrams and just have a conversation with them about Herb Abrams and the UWF and also pitch them my idea. I have a topic that I desperately want to get covered on Dark Side of the Ring. So I wanted to pitch them my topic as well. We'll get into all of that here. Ladies and gentlemen, my guests on the podcast this week are Jason Eisner, Evan Husney, the people behind Dark Side of the Ring. All right, we got a lot of Herb Abrams to talk about, but first, I love eating food. You probably love eating food too, but it's tough right now. There are days with what's going on in the world where I don't want to open the door. I certainly don't want to leave the house. Well, that's where Postmates comes to the rescue. I love Postmates. Given what's going on in the world right now, they've created non-contact deliveries. So I can order from my local restaurants and everything is going to get left right outside my door. But get this, if I want a little fresh air, if I want to go to a restaurant, no problem. They also have Postmates pickup so you can order takeout right from your local restaurant, if you're on the road or whatever you're doing. Listen up. You guys need to be supporting neighborhood spots right now. It's important, okay? You want to you wanna support the local people in your community that are trying to make a living. You want to make sure that the economy stays afloat. And it's so easy to do. You can do it without putting yourself at risk at all. Thanks to Postmates. And Postmates, they don't just deliver burgers and sushi. No. They can make your life easier. They pick up everything you need. Walgreens, 7-Eleven, CVS, whatever stores that you shop at, they'll pick stuff up for you and they're gonna drop it off right outside your door. You can do it all through the app. You never even have to talk to a person. It's fantastic. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android. Find your favorites and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving listeners to this show $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. 
pretty much no delivery fees unless you absolutely lose your mind. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use code Sam Roberts. That's code Sam Roberts. One word, S-A-M-R-O-B-E-R-T-S, for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. The Not Sam Wrestling Interview. So in our in our in our quarantine quest for content. These two men have stepped up to the plate and they've delivered some of the best uh, wrestling-related content in this period of time when we could use it so, so badly right now. Evan Husney and Jason Eisner are on with me, uh, the uh, creators and the men behind the entire Dark Side of the Ring series on Vice TV, which has been fueling all of us for so many weeks now. Jason, Evan, what's the haps, guys? Hey, Thanks for having hey. me. Yeah, well, yeah. thanks for uh, thanks for making all these wrestling documentaries. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're welcome. Everyone's welcome. Yeah, yeah. You know, we talked. Uh, <laughs> I, I think during the first season, we talked, uh, and it might have been. I don't know if it was before anything had aired, or it might have been just as the Bruiser Brody episode had aired. But it was when yeah, Dark Side of the Ring was still kind of an unproven uh, thing. You know, it was just this. It was. Right. It was still an idea. I was like, I, I think it's amazing that this is happening, but it was a. It was a will see, and I think clearly, here's here's the two reasons why I think Vice to me is clearly like, yeah, this is this is money. We love this thing. Number one, because obviously, second season you went from six episodes to ten episodes, which is a huge leap. And number two mm-hmm. is the topic, the topics of this season's episode. So we've got your big kind of marquee topics, which are starting the season with Benoit, ending the season with mm-hmm. Owen, middle of the season is Snuka. Those are huge topics to tackle. But then in the middle there, these are the episodes that as a wrestling geek, I look forward to the most, which is the episodes where you're sitting there going, I don't know how an hour of content is going to come out of this, but I can't wait to see it. That's the brawl for all uh, that's the Dino Bravo story. That's the stuff where where you could tell a normal person who's not a wrestling fan. I just spent an hour in my time watching a documentary about this thing, and they'll just look at you like a dog who's heard like a really <laughs> high pitched <laughs> ding. Uh, did did you get any of those uh, crooked head dog reactions when you were explaining to Vice? Look, here's the topics that we want to tackle this season. They include. Uh, Dino Bravo and his mob-related life and 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 Herb Abrams and UWF. Oh, what's that? Oh, it's this wrestling promoter that nobody's heard of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, no, I think, uh, I think because of kind of what we had proven with season one, it, you know, we, 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 we've been uh, fortunate to not have any real pushback or anything in terms of the episodes we, we wanted to do. Um, and yeah, we just wanted to try and create like a, like a, a, a group of episodes that, that feature different types of stories and have like lots of variants in terms of, you know, cause you have a lot of subjects, like some of the more tentpole ones like you're describing that are, you know, difficult, hard, very, very, very dark stories. And we wanted to also mix it up and have some stories that have just different, like the, the, uh, Dr. D David Schultz episode kind of has a different flavor. The brawl for all definitely does. And then of course. Herb Abrams and the <laughs> UWF, that story uh, couldn't be 
you know, that one's definitely way different than all the others that we've done. So I think, yeah, I, I think we just wanted variance and, um, and uh, you know, a, a lot of these episodes have been challenging to like, you know, for us to either boil down to an hour or get to an hour, but we, we realize as we're going through it, there's just so much, there's so much nuance to all these stories and it's just, it's been super exciting. Yeah. And after we did the first season, um, we put it out a call on all our social media platforms for everyone to weigh in as to like what they wanted to see us cover if we got a season two. And we just like yeah. had thousands and thousands of responses. And to our surprise, like, you know, Dino, the, the story of Dino Bravo was near the very top of that list of what people wanted to see. Um, yeah, like top five. Yeah, yeah, I get yeah. that. I mean, I wanted to see it. I think we talked about that, you know, a way long time ago that you had had the idea for that kind of in season one and it didn't make the cut. And I was fascinated by it because it is one of those things that's, I think, the perfect type of subject matter for this for wrestling fans, because the Dino Bravo thing is one of those wrestling stories that everybody kind of knows the legend of and yeah. everybody remembers, mm -hmm. you know, you, but you heard about it on like. You heard about it in high school or you heard about it somewhere from some guy who's like, oh, remember Dino Bravo? Oh, you know what happened to him after right. he left? And you heard a hundred different stories of it. But there really, I don't think, has been a lot of here's the story. This is this is what happened. You kind of know the legend, but you don't know mm -hmm. the story. You know what I'm saying? And for us, too, it was like we didn't it was hard to just even get a grasp of who Dino Bravo was as a person. Yeah, you know, there wasn't a lot out there. There's not. There's not many books like written about him, but like that was really eye opening for us is when we got to spend time with his daughter and his wife was just getting to know who Dino Bravo was as a person and, and right. even some of his early career work that we were not too familiar with. It just it made us even more of a fan of his like as we went through the process of making it. Do you or has there totally. been has there been any this season that you've been surprised has kind of uh, penetrated through the wrestling uh, audience and and you've heard from people who aren't necessarily wrestling fans. Hey, this one stuck with me. I hear well, so much feedback from like my friends and even just like distant family members that I haven't really heard of that are always like, man, <laughs> that new Jack. Episode, yes, yes, dude. I, that's why I brought this up because you know talking to comedians and stuff that don't watch wrestling. You know, I'll bring up, oh, I've been watching this. They'll go, did you see that New Jack documentary that was on the other night? Like, every, the New Jack one is the one that is that has hit the hit, hit a nerve of people yeah. who aren't wrestling fans. It's really true. <laughs> yeah, you think Tiger King was crazy. You got to see this New Jack one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, definitely the uh, New Jack episode, I think, has, has, has made the rounds um, amongst, you know, non-wrestling folks the most. But um, as far as, like, the wrestling audience, like, I was a little surprised by to the Dr. D. David Schultz episode. And, um, you know, obviously being our second highest rated episode, I, I wouldn't have predicted that. But it, it just was kind of one of those things that, you know, I think a lot of people, either it was kind of a departure, you know, from, from the darkness and uh, also just seeing John Stossel, uh, his <laughs> point of view on the story and, uh it was cool because I think it was, it was a cool challenge for us to try and make an episode, you know, just basically based on two slaps that happened, you know, 35 years ago. Um, you know, so, but uh, yeah, that just the whole response that we've been getting to that episode has been very interesting and very, very um, something I didn't predict. Yeah. Well, that was definitely one 
where when I watched it, I was going, I don't even, I, I feel like they had nine episodes and they're just stretching an hour out of this 2020 thing. Cause I've watched it on YouTube. <laughs> like I've seen it. And then when I actually watched it and I saw, Oh, there's a much bigger story here. We're now getting the perspective of Dr. D and the career and how it slowed down and did it slow down because of this, or was it, would it have slowed down right. anyway? And, and that whole conversation's open, uh, opens up. Then you get to hear the perspective of John Stossel and you realize that this guy is still mad. <laughs> You're like, what are you mad about? Like, yeah. this, what did you expect yeah. was going to happen? And then to me, the best part of it was the third part, which I, I didn't even consider when I thought about the story, which is it really is the generational mark of old school kayfabe, protect the business wrestling and sports entertainment. I mean, that is the moment to me when that switch was kind of made and you either sided with Definitely. Dr. D who's trying to protect the business quote unquote, or you sided with Stossel and eventually WWE to say, Hey, 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 this is sports entertainment. This is, this is a, a show that we're putting on for families. Um, and that part, yeah. that part yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize. That's cool. Yeah. For like Evan and us, we're so like, like we're, we're so fascinated in that time period where, you know, wrestlers had to go through great lengths to protect the business. Yeah. And there's so many amazing stories from that, you know, that era. And, you know, a lot of these crazy stories are bred out of, you know, the, having to protect the secrets in a, in a lot of ways and the lengths that they would go to. So yeah, this is, it's definitely that pivotal moment, like you said, where, you know, it's transitioning away from, um, you know, the old guard protecting it at all costs. Yeah. And like one of the things that um, our show examines ever since the very first episode we ever did is just that kind of intersection between, you know, reality and wrestling fiction and we've always been fascinated with that whole concept and how that interweaves into real life. And this, this episode was kind of like a way for us to, you know, talk about the F word, you know, in wrestling yeah. and, and like, and, and to really kind of build upon that. And cause I mean, that's a huge part of wrestling stigma is like, you know, a lot of people are just like, why would you watch that? It's fake, you know? And so I think for us, it was like a, a, a like a way to look at that part of wrestling history as well. And, you know, and Dr. D was just always such a compelling character to us uh, to examine anyway, just because, and I, and, and I also think when you look back and watch that episode, like, you know, you really realize, man, this industry has changed so much since then. It's like barely even recognizable in terms of just like how, you know, a person like, like Dr. D, like you, you don't see that type of guy in wrestling anymore. You know, that grizzled, no. real legitimate believable dude like him and so um you know because a lot of wrestlers nowadays kind of get into the business being a fan of the industry where people like david schultz like i mean this was a this was a job this is yeah. something that like i you know it was either between this or working in the fields i think you know for these, for these types of guys and so it's just uh, yeah they just don't they don't they don't make them like they used to i guess yeah i feel like brock is probably the last person who you would be afraid sure. to ask a question to. Like Brock is that guy <laughs> sure. who you, you watch on yeah. TV and you're like, nope, that's just Brock. There's no character there. That just Brock is just Brock is just Brock. And 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 yeah, yeah I think I think that there is you're true. right. There's nothing there's nothing like that anymore. Um Yeah. I also think that whether you guys know it or not, and I'm sure this happened in the first season too, there's certain like I think uh New Jack, Dr. D 
and maybe a couple other people. I'm sure that their careers, as far as like taking a run on the convention circuit, probably goes through the roof mm. after these things. I have to imagine that like, you know, getting an autograph and a photo from Dr. D and New Jack probably went way up after these documentaries aired. Yeah, that, and if you can get them together in one photo, <laughs> yeah, yeah, cause I did, New Jack, because they could, they could be like a whole new bounty hunter tag team. That's right. Oh my god, that'd be amazing! <laughs> I did see New Jack like he posted last night that he was like selling autograph figures on his website that he made, <laughs> and like it blew up. Like people were just like, "Oh my god!" They were so excited, and I think he's attracted even a, a new fan base. Oh yeah, you know, lots of that stuff. And it was sold out instantly. Like, as soon as I went, I was like, it's not <laughs> even listed up. It's a, and, you know, New Jack fits the mold of Dr. D, right? New Jack is that guy that you go, like, I don't, I wouldn't mess with New Jack in real life. Yeah. I, I did, I did a, right. a, an independent show. I was doing commentary. It was actually supposed to be New Jack's last match. It was like a, I don't know, some kind of triple threat with a Necro Butcher and maybe one other person. But it was supposed to be his last match. I oh, think Lord. it was the weekend of WrestleMania 29. And... I was, right. I was just there to do commentary, and the match was right after intermission. So during intermission, New Jack called me over. And he was like, hey, come here. I was like, yeah, yes, New Jack, yes, sir, yes, yes, sir. And he was like, and he gave me and he yeah. had this big thing of uh, light tubes, you know, like the, the fluorescent light tubes. And he was like, I need you to put these under the ring, but make sure they're in the far right corner under the ring. The far right corner. What corner? And I was like, the the the, the far right corner. He's like, the far right corner. No, put them in the wrong corner. I was like, yes, sir. Oh. And so man. I went out there, and I, they were covered in a blanket and everything, so nobody could see. And I just kind of slid them under, and nobody noticed and everything. But I swear to you, <laughs> I'm now doing commentary for that match when we get back, and I, all I can think about is, oh God, please let them be in the right yeah. corner. Or you know, maybe New Jack forgot, and now he's checking the wrong corner. But that's still gonna be me if New Jack checks the wrong corner. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> and you're like. You're like, Mr. Jack, um, my dad's in the audience. Do you mind if I get a few shots in, too? And, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah exactly. Or just, yeah, or just we, no sound. We had, like, we had our own, like, kind of panic moment where, like, uh, right before, like, the night before shooting with him, uh, we had organized yeah. to, like, shoot his interview in this, like, beautiful theater, in, like, this very old theater in his hometown. And we got in the night before, like, super late. We're exhausted. Well, we had pitched it to him that it was, like, you know, it was, like, eight minutes from his, like, yeah. eight minutes walking distance from his house. So it was, like, hey, no biggie, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just, like, I'm laying in bed right before I go to sleep. Just, like, I should just check it over to see the location. You know, everything's all good. And I look it up the address on our map, and I, re I realize we're, like, over an hour away from the location. <laughs> and we're just, like, I go to Evan's door at his hotel and we were just like, Oh my God, what are we going to do? Like we can't just expect him to just like on his own, like drive over an hour. Like we want him in the best mood like possible. And so I remember yep. Evan just, like got on the phone with our production manager and he's like, I want you to do whatever you would do if it was Dwayne Johnson that you were picking up <laughs> and driving him an hour to a location. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like, get the best limo, you know, make make it make it all happen, you know, and because you know it was yeah it was very scary because I was definitely picturing myself getting mass transited uh, like in a few hours, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now was I feel like New Jack is one where you walk in going we might have to stretch to make an hour out of this, 
But then once I watched the episode and I realized that really you kind of it was it's kind of divided into four parts, which is the beginning yeah. of New Jack's career and then Mass Transit and mm -hmm. then Gypsy Joe and then the other one. And I was like, oh, you could have easily you could have easily done another. You probably could have done a three hour doc just on New Jack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man, there's stories there so we had to cut stuff. out. Yeah. Yeah. So much great stuff we had to cut out of that episode yeah <laughs> i was telling my wife uh that there was a new jack documentary she was like who's new jack and i was like you remember beyond the mat she's like yeah i remember beyond the mat and i was like remember that guy who's like see my knuckles there ain't none she was like yep i remember new jack <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. so Amazing. i'm i'm really looking forward to this week's episode and that's why i wanted to have you guys on this week because this week's episode is herb abrams and his uwf mm. and Herb Abrams is something I've been fascinated by for a while because it's one of those names that gets thrown around a lot. And there's maybe, right. I don't know, there's like three or four stories that are on the internet. Not a lot of stuff on the internet. And then just like, but it's usually like three or four stories, but told 200 different ways. So you never know exactly yeah. Which one is the original, or is this the same story, but is it different, or did he just do this same thing twice? And, and I mean, <laughs> to me, one of the great things is looking back at sort of bad wrestling and going, how did this, oh, yeah. how did this happen? And I feel like UWF, that, that's it to a T. From the beginning, like, my favorite thing is the starting point of UWF, when you go, okay, UWF. And you go, you mean Bill Watts is UWF after he took the territory? No, 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 no. Bill Watts didn't copyright UWF. So Herb Abrams came out and started a promotion by the exact same name because it wasn't copyrighted. <laughs> so why not? And you go from there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the 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 uh, Herb Abrams and the UWF story, I have to say, almost out of any other episode we've done, out of all 16, maybe, maybe, maybe Gino being the only other example, but yeah. Really one of the only stories that we really knew almost next to nothing about before going into it. Um, and the whole genesis of doing this story for the show actually goes all the way back to before we even had the series greenlit. Um, I was, uh, I actually was, you know, cause Vice wanted us to um, obviously pitch all these different stories uh, when we were first developing the show. Mm -hmm. And um, I, re I reached out to a few people who I knew that obviously, you know, know a lot of crazy stories in this world. And, and Sean Oliver from Kayfabe Commentaries was one of those people that I reached out to because I figured, man, he's done so many wrestler shoot interviews, so many interviews with wrestlers that he must have heard some crazy shit yeah. along the way. So I figured, why not just pick his brain plus, for, for stories? Plus, it's not actually, like, it's also, he's like the one guy too that when he does his interviews, like he'll go like, well, who's the one wrestling interviewer that would have a segment where just rate who has the biggest penises. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Oh, Sean, I know. Sean I know, Oliver's yeah. the guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Stuff is pretty wild. Yeah. I love but it. But so anyway, um, yeah. So, you know, and, and also I should say Jason and I have, have bought so many of his, you know, kayfabe commentary yeah. DVDs, like the Roddy Piper one, the Billy Graham, all that stuff. And, um, so, so anyway, so we uh, like I, I called him and just for story ideas, and the one the one story he was like, well, the one you have to do because it's so vice and no one's done it is the Herb Abrams thing, and I never heard that name. It just kind of went in one ear and out the other. But he did tell me, you know, he was covered in baby oil, chasing 
you know, hookers around with a baseball bat, you know, I was like, Oh my God, you know? And so that actually made it in that story made it into the original pitch deck for the series. Mm -hmm. And I actually used that as a way to sell it to vice. And uh, obviously once we got up and running, it just, for whatever reason, that just didn't stick as like something we should look into for season one. And I'm also, I'm kind of glad that it didn't um, because I think that maybe it might not have been as successful, you know, or, or, or not enough people would have seen it, um, you know, without having to establish a season one first. But anyway, so when it came time to season two, Sean had me on his podcast and he was grilling me essentially being like, wait a minute, man, I told you about this story and you didn't do it for season one. What the hell? And, you know, he was like, we don't need another Montreal Screwjob documentary. You know, we need this Herb Abrams story. What's the deal? And I, and I actually, and then, and then he just pitched it to me again, like on his show, like he was going through all the story points. And I was like, God, he's so right. Is this what I kept thinking? And I just felt so bad. So I, the next day I went to the office and I just like, you know, basically made it like a, like a staff announcement that we are going to start looking into this story, ditch whatever plans we had before, you know, and then I actually pointed to Howard and I was like, you need to get on this immediately. Um, and, uh, uh, who, and he works, he works for us and he did a tremendous job in terms of research and yeah, he just looked into the story and, and, uh, and we were off to the races and we just couldn't believe what we were uncovering and the people we were talking to. It was amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome because here's, I, I think here's what I know. I kind of know the wrestling part of it. You know, I know a little bit about the history of the promotion UWF and I know enough about, you know, the shows and kind of remember the shows being put on when I was a kid and have gone back and watched, you know, some of the shows that have popped up on YouTube and stuff. Um, and then beyond that, I know how he died, which to my knowledge, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that on the last night of his life, he was found in his office covered in baby oil, butt naked. It's either baby oil or Vaseline, depending on who I ask. Baby oil or Vaseline, <laughs> butt naked, chasing a prostitute with a baseball bat, high off his mind on cocaine. He was arrested and under police custody, had a heart attack and died. Is this true? There are like several legends, <laughs> uh, but there are commonalities between those legends. Yeah. And I think the the baby oil and uh, cocaine <laughs> are definitely in all of those legends. And okay. I think a baseball bat's involved with all of them as well. Okay. But we go through them all. Oh, like, good. A, good. A, a few yeah, this is definitely like you're definitely uh, Tuesday night. You're going to get the Rashomon of uh this whole uh, incident as it, as it I, I, I hope um, it, I hope the documentary but, I hope the documentary ends like the movie Clue and then it goes or here's what could oh, yeah. have happened but here's what really happened yeah. <laughs> that, that, that would be amazing like depending on which market you you tune into our show on Tuesday night you get a different ending yeah um, but um, no it, it like it like definitely it like definitely is one of the, the harder things we've had to confirm like in terms of the details and it's like everyone had like these different versions of what they heard. And it's like, but, you know, but this was reported in the newspapers. So, you know, it's based in like somewhat of a, you know, verifiable fact. It just was like, it was a really hard thing for us to confirm in terms of like, you know, any sort of a, like official, you know, police records or anything. Really? But, you know, obviously, yeah. But like a lot of the folks that like knew Herb, 
you know, very well, which you'll see in the documentary, are getting information, you know, like right after it happened. And so everyone has like a little bit of a different story in terms of what happened. And we felt, well, we just, we, we better just, you know, kind of make the greatest hits of this different account of what, of what we think happened, you know? So you gotta be responsible. You gotta be responsible in your, exactly. in your storytelling. Um, so right. with UWF, it was basically this promotion that I think had all the aspirations to be a mainstream promotion, but none of the production value or wrestling to be a mainstream promotion. Um, you look back on it and it started like around 1990 and it was kind mm -hmm. of mainly filled with guys that you had seen previously in the eighties in WWF, uh, a couple of NWA runoffs and then some new talent. Mick Foley started with UWF, yeah. um, and a couple of other people, uh, who was the, who was the, the, the blonde, um, the there was Wild Ray, Stevie Ray. Stevie Ray, yeah, not 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 Steve Ray, not Stevie Ray from Harlem Heat, but Steve Ray was a big uh, a big uh, 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 person there. And then wasn't yeah. uh, Jack Jack Armstrong? Is that right? He had like man, um, he's like a I barrel think, chested well, you had, guy. You had Sunny Beach, you Sunny had, Beach, yeah. You had, you had Sunny Sunny Beach and Steve Ray, who were who were the tag team Wet and Wild. Um, <laughs> you had uh, you had. Uh, well, you had, you know, you had Dr. Steve Williams, right. obviously, who was a big name there. Right. Paul, Paul, Paul Orndorff was yep. there. Um, Captain Lou. Um, so he had, he, had the, he had those names. And then, um, oh, man. Uh, and then he also had, which I think is a, is a character that a lot of people are going to be discovering on Tuesday night, is he had, you know, because Herb became his own kind of, you know, Mr. Mc, like proto-Mr. McMahon character, um on on the show like i mean he kind of made himself as the star of the show and he had his own adversary which it uh, was a guy named colonel red uh -huh. who was like this managerial persona that was on uwf and man the promos <laughs> the promos and the spots with herb and colonel red are some of the most uh, uh hilarious and memorable <laughs> aspects of the show for yeah. sure that yeah. So you had all sorts of types. That's amazing. Yeah, and didn't didn't they have a uh, Colonel De Beers do like a super racist guy? I well, I know. Yeah, he was on the show. Yeah, he. Yeah, you're right. I think I think it was part of that promotion. We don't yeah. touch on that on Tuesday, but I mean, there's only so much you could possibly cover. You only got an hour to to go through all this wonderful uh, wonderfulness, and then of course uh, the uh, the very subtle dig at Dave Meltzer, which was their jobber named Davey Meltzer. <laughs> right. Which yeah. was the very first thing that ever was on the air for UWF. <laughs> which is so which is so funny. And it's like, you know, Herb didn't obviously appreciate the way he was being portrayed in the dirt sheets when he was launching UWF. Uh -huh. So his his response was the very first thing you ever saw on the on the UWF theory hour was Dr. Death Steve Williams match beating up this guy named Davy Meltzer and then shoving a, a piece of paper in his mouth and pouring dirt in it. So it's like, you know, <laughs> the dirt seat, get it? I mean, you know, and it's just like this. It's amazing. Yeah, I think if you if you really yeah. search for the nuance, you might be able to find it in there. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and he like he um like he announces UWF Federation like at um John Arezzi's like one of his uh weekend like fan conventions. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, at that time he announced that like 
Bruiser Brody was going to be involved, and Bruiser Brody was already dead at that point. And <laughs> Blackjack Mulligan was going to be doing booking for him, but he was in jail at the time. <laughs> so he was just making all these like elaborate like promises. But then eventually he did get um, Andre the Giant on board, which was like a huge yeah. win for him. That's it. Yeah, so yeah. he got Andre to come on for, I don't know, maybe like a couple of days to do some promos. Uh-huh. But then literally like the next day, like Vince McMahon like called Andre back up and. <laughs> Both back in WWE. <laughs> oh, that was yeah. That was when uh, when Andre came back to like manage the Bushwhackers at SummerSlam '91. He took him yeah, right out yeah. from under Herb, huh? Yeah. Oh, poor Herb. Yep. Poor, poor Herb. And that was one of the things that yeah, I know that was a big <laughs> shot for to him. Yeah, but but like one of the things that we kind of discovered along the way with doing the story is like, you know, you know, Herb was a Herb was a huge wrestling fanatic. You know, Herb was actually at the first WrestleMania. I like as a fan, you know, wrestling was his life. And, you know, he made a bunch of money uh, early on uh, with a clothing store chain that he had. And he just one day was like, I want to start my own promotion. Like, I believe I can do this. He had that big, you know, wrestling fan dream. And then and then basically he started to piece this thing together and he started to recruit wrestlers at John Arezzi's fan weekend and putting this whole thing together. And he is a very, like, from what we gather, a very charismatic dude. Uh-huh. And he just basically got all these guys to really buy into his vision. And, like, you know, it was kind of like they were all under this, like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's go out there and let's kick some ass and let's, let's make this thing a real success. Everyone really believed that they were on course for success until these, these like, you know, these, like, you know, checks were bouncing, you know, all, like, you know, a lot of empty seats. You know, a lot of empty seats <laughs> in some of the shows and, and, and all these things. And then people started to believe, well, this really isn't what it's cracked up to be. And so I always kind of look at it. Maybe it's a crude comparison, but I always kind of say this is sort of the fire festival of wrestling stories, you know, because, you know, you have the, you have the promise and you have, you know, you have all the salesmanship and all the uh, charisma behind it. But then, like, you know, once you get there, it's a total disaster. OK, it's funny that you say fire fest because. Like, when I first read the description and kind of knowing the little that I know about Herb Abrams and the UWF story, I was like, okay, if I were to make mm-hmm. this into a— First of all, I now I all I'm thinking about, I've been thinking about it for like a week now, is making a Herb Abrams movie movie, like a like a, like a yeah. actual, you know, movie, because I think it would just be amazing. So at first, it's funny that you say Firefest because at first I was thinking this is like the Wolf of Wall Street version of wrestling or the wrestling version of Wolf of Wall Street. But I've now changed that since you were basically describing Herb Abrams just now as we're having this conversation. Yeah. Herb Abrams yeah. is, and it's really kind of getting weird, the comparisons. I don't know if you've seen The Room, but Herb Abrams is clearly the Tommy Wiseau of professional wrestling <laughs> down to the fact that nobody knew where Tommy Wiseau got his money from, but he insisted that it was from a clothing company, Street Fashions USA. <laughs> Well, you know that that's how uh, I'm sure there's there's definitely shades of some 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 why so in there for sure, um, but like it's also in, well also because you see you know obviously why so is making himself the star of the room yep you know and this is kind of like like there is some of that you know narcissism in there I guess but you know the thing with Herb is that I that I will say um, you know is but there was a big question of where the money came from. And like, 
we know there was some finance financiers that came into the UWF along the way, but Herb had made all of his money from this, this, uh, this clothing company that he started, which was for big and tall women. <laughs> that's <laughs> called, that was called, you, you can't write this. You can no, never write this. Of course that's movie, where he made his money. It was called, I'm a big girl now. Is what the <laughs> name of the store was. Um, <laughs> that's gotta be and the most so flattering that, place to go. Of course, where, if you're, if you're, if you're an oversized woman, you want to go to a store called I'm a big girl now. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but that's where the money, uh, you know, started that launched UWF, which is just amazing. And then, um, yeah. And then I think, you know, there, there also one of the things that was really interesting was that, you know, Herb had basically, when he started running shows, he felt that he could sort of be the West coast WWF. And so he felt like, you know, maybe I should try and join forces with Vince McMahon. And wow. so, and, and, and this story is corroborated through um, uh, one of the folks we interview, uh, his name is Lenny. And like, Lenny was like the straight man in the story. He's like the real producer of the UWF. He was the guy that tried to keep everything together, tried to keep Herb sober, you know, and, and really tried to keep him focused. Like he's really, he's a great person too. What a great dude. But like Lenny, basically you know confirmed that herb had a meeting with vince mcmahon where he where he pitched him like let me let me take the west coast you can you can keep the east coast let me take the west coast you know and then and then he and then obviously vince was like you know take a hike you know (laughs) you know but and and that was what really bruised you know herb ego and really kind of forced him on this path to, to to try and literally not just be competitive with wwf but actually take them down that was like his ultimate dream he really like he seems there's like there's a lot of spite in his style of promoting. The fact that he's mad at Dave Meltzer for writing nasty things about him, so he goes on television in his opening match of his promotion and does that. That he he has a bad meeting with Vince McMahon, so now he's changed his goal and he wants to put Vince McMahon out of business forever. Like it doesn't seem necessarily like he's the most sound businessman. He I feel like he might be a little bit more emotional than logic. Am I am I right on with that? Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, like, even to the point where you'll see, I'm kind of spoiling, spoiling it a little bit, but when you see the UWF, like, sports channel belt, like, television heavyweight championship belt, yeah. oh, it's like, yes. when you realize the messaging behind it, because on either side of the strap, it says UWF. Right. But when you, like, fold it to, like, hold it up, it just says FU on either side. <laughs> and it, and it, it was, like, to, it, it was literally him directing it towards Vince McMahon <laughs> and like, yeah after you see it like the belt is actually quite beautiful it is colorful and and now an with that meeting behind it I think it's like the coolest like one of the coolest wrestling belts ever yeah, yeah. after Tuesday night it'll become the most sought after belt I think yeah yeah I mean who, of all time would you it's know incredible historical artifact that you know it's priceless do you have any idea who owns the IP? Like, who 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 owns the copyright? Like, who can make those replica belts? That's a really That's good, a question. good question. I mean, yeah, like, from what I understand, like, the UWF IP is kind of a, a big question mark. Because <laughs> of course it is. I think Herb, because I, I don't know if it was really ever settled, you know, before Herb died. So I, right. I, I don't know. It, it, it could be with the family. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure. Was there at any point, how soon did people realize? Because like I watch it and when I see the final product, 
Like, even in that first episode, and you can find stuff on YouTube if you look up Herb Abrams' UWF. You can find old shows. I think, like, uh, the Beach Brawl. They did one pay-per-view called Beach Brawl, and I think that that's up there. Oh, yeah. But you can clearly see that this is not a promotion destined for success. Like, you can clearly, clearly see that the money that has been invested has not been invested in the right places. I, I have to imagine that it was pretty quick that checks were bouncing and wrestlers were figuring out like, oh, okay, this might be a money grab more than a, hey, this is this is this is the team I'm going to put on my back. Well, there's one thing I'll say about that is is you know like a lot of guys were obviously getting stiffed on pay like like you were saying, which is which is the thing that we 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 look at extensively on in the episode. But when we interviewed Mick Foley, it's like you know Mick Foley came out of a situation in WCW where he felt like you know, he was pretty stifled in terms of what he could do creatively. Mm-hmm. And now, obviously, knowing now what we know about Mick, he's, an, you know, he's an incredible artist in this in this world, right? So um, he always felt like even though sometimes the money, you know, wasn't right and, you know, things were screwy, but he had so much freedom I to see. really kind of discover himself in the UWF. And so he attributes that time to being able to really hone the character of Cactus Jack because of basically not having anyone telling him what to do. And so that's really interesting too. And that was really cool. You know, when, when, when he brings that up in the interview and talking about, you know, that like he had that opportunity with the UWF. So I I guess for some, you know, like for him, obviously it it was, it was kind of a, a, it was a total necessary period that I think he went through. So then, then he could eventually ascend, you know, into what he became. Right, yeah, and have the confidence to be like, I know this works because I've done it before because I had the opportunity to do it. But right, ha- having that freedom, I also feel like, look, I mean, UWF did not have the greatest booking in the world. Lots of double countouts, lots of disqualifications, <laughs> lots of rematches yeah. that also ended in double countouts and disqualifications. Sort of, it screamed to the person who's been watching wrestling for a long time, Neither of these two legends want to do a job to the other one. And I don't think that I think that that they probably I'm assuming must have gone to Herb and say, I'm not losing to this guy. I'm not losing to that guy. But Herb just figured put him in the ring and just schmoz the finish. And we still have the match and everything's yep. fine. Yeah, it's funny. We, we talked to Mick Foley last night and we were just kind of reminiscing about it. And he was saying how like Herb came up to him and uh I think it was for the blackjack problems and, and said that he yeah. wanted, he wanted yeah. to go over on, he wanted him to go over on snooker uh-huh. and Mick was like really taken back. He's like, Holy shit. But he wanted Mick to break the news to snooker. <laughs> oh man. And you know, and they're supposed to do this like lumberjack match. <laughs> and so he, he walked up to snooker and he's just like, he's like, Hey brother, how about, you know, double count out. And Snook was like, yeah, brother, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the thing, but then, but then like, they didn't know how to do because it's a lumberjack man. Yeah. There's no count out. No, of course no not. And so, yeah. So like, you know, he, he basically in the middle of the match, like Brian Blair is like, what are you guys doing? You know? <laughs> and then like Nick is shouting back to, you know, uh, like Brian Blair saying, it's a double count out. Well, there's no double count out. The lumberjack matches. And Nick shouts back, it's Herb's show. We can do whatever we want. You know? And like, you know, they're in a 14,000 seat venue and 200 people are there. So, I mean, it really is kind of a, you know, like, we can do whatever we want. But that's, yeah. that's yeah. so great, though, that it's even worse than you would think, where it's not even like Herb 
didn't have the backbone to tell somebody that they lost. Herb sent the guy. He sent Mick to tell Snooka, and Mick didn't want to tell him that. So Mick said, "Double count out," and then and, and Herb just finds yeah. out the finish of the match is a double count out as he's watching the match. Yes, yes, yes. And, and 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 that's a theme that you see throughout the whole story, which is you you really see that this is just this whole thing at at, at one point the UWF and it just becomes a complete impro- improvisation, spreading water, you know, and like and, and and that's the scary thing about it because obviously you know Herb has demons and you know which we definitely get into in yeah. terms of his drug use and partying and everything. And, and all these guys are just kind of along for this ride that is, that is totally, yeah, just like being improvised as they go on. Um, that's and, amazing. And that's just, that obviously, you know, would make a great movie, like for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Brian Blair talks about it as like, you know, this is Herb's world and we're and they're just all living in it, you know. Right. You just yeah. get to go on that ride for a short period of time. You're like, look, this is what we're doing right now. Let's just see what this world is like, and then we're gonna step out before it gets really scary. Yeah, but like Mick had like a kind of like a, a like a good perspective on it. Like his thing was when he would walk into those arenas, and there was only like a hundred to two hundred people in there. Mm-hmm. He felt like he had just like more freedom to like experiment and like try some weird stuff. Sure. And so for him, it he didn't mind that. You know, he just like his his yeah, spirit I love that perspective. Was, yeah. Yeah. Now I read that. Uh, he was given a million dollars from Sports Channel America to do the show. Herb Abrams was not Mick Foley. Herb Abrams. Um, do yeah. you know if that's true? Well, yeah. I mean, basically, you know, again, like in the beginning, you know, Herb was this very, um, you know, he could charm you, he could sell you. He was a good salesman, and he actually sold Sports Channel America on doing the show without a pilot or without any any sort of you know sizzle reel or anything Uh so they actually gave him you know they actually ordered uh the what became the uwf theory hour they they ordered that without seeing anything wow you know so that just kind of goes you know i mean who knows what we would have if that would have even if uwf would even be a thing without that and that's the thing like in the beginning a lot of the guys talk about is he was throwing money around presumably his own money around um, in the beginning that really got a lot of people, you know, charmed to, to him. And they were kind of under that herb spell. Right. Because we even talk, like I was talking about Colonel red who, who, uh, I'm sure will be the star of the show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Tuesday night. um he kind of talks about like being wine to dine pretty, pretty heavily, uh, coming in to the fold and just being like, wow, like this hotel suite that like in Beverly Hills that I've never even experienced anything like this in my life. And like, you know, that's like wild. And like, I never would have thought I would be privy to that. And then, you know, yeah. So I, I think he enchanted a lot of people with his, you know, his, his vision was throwing money around and, and really got to that point. But then when it came to, to deliver and to make the product, right. You know, it was definitely a completely different story. Well, it's one of those, it seems like it's one of those classic stories, which are so fascinating for me who like, I, I feel like I have to kind of plan most of what I'm doing and know, okay, here, this is going to work out and here's my plan B and here's my plan C and here's my plan D. I love stories of people that are the opposite. I love stories of people (laughs) that just have this grand vision and they make a ton of promises and they go, well, I don't know. I just figured out when I get there. 
and, and just and just go go oh, go. Yeah. yeah, and I, I I just love it because people who just keep talking, they just never stop talking to the point where you're like, all right, let's just see where this goes. Let let's see. Yeah, and it's like yeah, this this whole experience making this episode is just like you know, it just kind of showed us too that there are so many kind of hidden hidden plain sight stories that could be like covered, you know, for this show, like more so and just like the potential of like, I, like, I think I can speak for you, Jason, in just terms of saying like the most fun episodes we have of this sh- making the show are ones in which we don't know anything about when we go in. Yeah. Yeah. And I also like, do love like, you know, highlighting and living in the world of like a, a federation, like, or like these small yeah. in- uh, promotions. Cause like they, each one has like, these dreams behind it, you know, like every promoter has these like grand dreams. And I think people can connect to that, but there's like with every little indie uh, promotion, I find there's like, there, there's like these really hidden gem stories behind them and they each have their own aesthetics to them in a really fun way. Like we got really obsessed with, um, in the new Jack episode, um, uh, there's this character in it who goes by MWW uh-huh. and he had a little <laughs> promotion uh, called thunder wrestling. And like they made artwork and everything for it, um, and there's and the the cast of characters that are involved just in that little indie promotion, I'm sure and I know there's like so many stories just behind that just that one, and so I know like Definitely. the UWF there's like there's others out there that we could you know live in, I know for for an hour's worth of time because uh, definitely yeah, so. Uh... There's one thing that I've seen online that I don't know if it gets tackled in the documentary or not, but I feel like it is so UWF. It's uh, and it might be from Blackjack Brawl. It's uh, Mondo Guerrero, and he's coming out, and when he when he comes to the ring, the song Rico Suave is a big hit. So I'm assuming it was supposed to be Rico Suave, or maybe it was a a, a rib, or I don't know what happened. But Mondo Guerrero is coming to the ring. And Taco Grande, the Weird Al parody of Rico yeah. Suave, is playing him to the ring. And I'm like, he's got, like, the bandoliers on and everything, and he's Mondo Guerrero. And then you just hear Weird Al behind him going, Taco Grande. Yeah. Oh. Grande. <laughs> yeah, I, I um, God, that that is it's one upsetting. of the funniest things ever. But it's obviously, you know, like, not it, it's not something we cover in the episode. You know, mainly because, I mean, how much would that joke cost? Um, yeah, it's true. The thing is, like, it's so good. And it, again, just goes to show you, like, there's so many aspects in this story that, like, you cannot write. Even if you tried, even if you sat down and tried, you yeah. would never be able to come up with the scene where Mondo Guerrero comes out to Taco Grande. There's just no way. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's just amazing that the things that, like, that happened in the uwf did you get any do you get any insight to why that happened just not that it's in the movie but just for my own personal edification <laughs> no unfortunately not i mean maybe I, maybe i can make some phone calls for you i would love to find out because i'm fascinated by that like i feel like i want to do a one-hour documentary just about that entrance <laughs> um do you so know amazing. so they did i guess blackjack brawl that was the live show and that was their last show correct yeah. Uh, yes, I believe so. I believe so. Because yeah. that was a pretty big show. I mean, Sid was on that show. Dan Spivey was on that show. That was, that was big. That was like 94, I think. Yeah, and, you got the, you got the MGM yeah. grand for, the, for that, too, which was a 
huge get for him. Now, I'm going to ask you guys. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, was the MGM yeah. Grand, when they did Blackjack Brawl, did they fill it up? No. 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 <laughs> um, that's the show where, yeah, they had the 200, 200, 200, 200 to 250 people at the at the uh, the 14,000 seat venue, <laughs> oh, which is just, uh, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> that whole scene in the show on Tuesday is uh, is pretty amazing. And I, I'm not going to spoil it. I Please see, don't. But Mick, Mick has an incredible, um, I'll, I'll just tease it. Mick, Mick has an incredible moment um, when, you know, he, he thought once and for all, okay, maybe this is it. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe Herb has been able to, to finally figure this thing out because we got the MGM Graham, baby. And then he has, a, he has an encounter with Herb I think the night before or the day of, uh -huh. and then when he starts seeing what Herb is talking about, he's like, oh, no way, this is going to be a success. And that's one of my uh, favorite moments uh, in the whole episode. Oh, oh, I can't wait. I really can't wait. Was there a plan? Because the, like, the show isn't booked like uh, this is our last show in business. Like You literally at one point have the, the Spivey and Sid, uh, the Twin Towers, kind of either reuniting or breaking up. I don't know. Something went on with the two of them on that show. Um, was, was there like a, I mean, I guess there was never a plan, right? But was there a plan coming out of blackjack brawl that just never came to fruition? Or was this just sort of the way of life for Herb Abrams? Yeah. As far as I know, like, you know, he always kind of was trying to get things, you know, back to the way they were from that 94 to, you know, he passed away in 96. Right. And so I think in that, in that period, he was really trying to get things going again, but I think that's really the time when, you know, he was really struggling with addiction um, and his, you know, his, his, his whole vices and everything. And somebody yesterday while we were doing the live, we we're doing a Facebook live with, with, with Mick Foley. And somebody said that there was artwork created for it, which I didn't know, but there was artwork created for a 1996 blackjack brawl that was supposed to take place, I believe, in California. Yeah, and it, it had like St. Valentine's Massacre or something like that, right? Yeah, and it had like Mick. Mick was on the card, but like Mick would have already been, you know, <laughs> in talks with WWE. So yeah. I don't know. Like it, it's it's you know it's one of those just things. And 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 then the episode, he also uh, we also you know he was. He was kind of pleading to Lenny, who was, you know, his partner for so many years, like, Lenny, I'm straight, you know, and there's like big, big plans in the future, Lenny, you know, and, and you have to kind of, you know, by that point, kind of roll your eyes a little bit. You do. And you can like, and I like goofing on it and like, you know, pointing out all the silliness of it. But there's also this thing. I have this soft spot for anybody that just never quits. Like somebody that yeah. has a dream and wants to do something and as ridiculous as it gets and as bad as it gets and as much as the entire world is saying, what are you doing? This is dumb. Just never, never quits. I love stories of people, whether they succeed or not, even if they never succeed, the fact that they never quit and just kept going. Yeah. I mean, I love, yeah. love that in a real way. Yeah, same here. And you do like even through the course of discovering the story, like as you're, we're like gathering more details and hopefully you'll feel that in the episode is that like, you kind of are rooting for her. Like you want him to yeah. succeed. Like his dream and his ambitions is so, 
there's there's so much charisma behind it and you you just you want to get behind it and he's take he's trying to take on Vince McMahon and it's just you know you really do want to see him you know make it but you know he just drags everyone down yeah yeah and 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 also like I think too one thing that people will be a little surprised at when they see the episode is that you know I think everybody involved for the most part not everyone but for the most part you know even though they got stiffed on pay and things didn't work out and and these dreams didn't come into fruition. I think everybody at the end of the day really liked Herb as a guy, you know? Um, And that's kind of saying something like after kind of screwing people over (laughs) and having these big false promises. But, you know, I think everybody was really endeared to him, you know? And I think that uh, I I certainly was not expecting how many people were, were actually getting emotional during their interviews in talking about Herb. And also talking about even the way he died. And, like, even though that's such a spectacular, like, unbelievable way to go out, like, even t- even Brian Blair talking about it, like, gets emotional, you know. you know, And, and that's kind of one of the things you forget. Like, it's such a spectacular thing to read about. But then, like, I guess if you knew the guy and knew what he was really struggling with, you know, it's like, it, it, is, it is scary and it's also sad. And, um, you know, Colonel Red, like I was mentioning, who will be like one of the MVPs on Tuesday night, he also kind of mentioned to me, he actually mentioned to me when he was talking about it, the way the Herb went out, is he was saying, like, if you were to see that in a movie or a TV show, you, know, you would really think that that's, you know, a funny, crazy scene. But to see it with your own eyes, you know, must have been a completely different story. And, and that's true. Yeah. Know? And to For know sure. the guy, too, right? To know, like, because that's what we forget, like, especially being wrestling fans, like, we could build these characters in our heads, and, and that's what he is, and we can consider right. Herb Abrams and his wrestling career and his death all part of this, like, wild character and just yeah. tell stories because you forget that he's a human being. Like, he's a, just a person, right? Yeah, like, yeah. he, I think, like, you know, he was, like, this, a huge wrestling fan and chasing down, you know, his, like, favorite wrestling legends and maybe wanted to be, uh, like, a legend in his own right. And he did become one. I'm not sure if that if it was the way in which he had planned to become one, but you know, I well, think Herb did. Yeah. And also like one of the other things too about him that maybe doesn't come through the episode um, as much as it should, but the other thing too about him that's really interesting is that, you know, look at the landscape of wrestling in 1991 and kind of the direction it was going in very cartoony. Right. And, and I think one of the things that was very important to him was that he wanted wrestling to go back to the way that it was. So he was kind of, you know, as a fan, from a fan perspective, he was kind of a traditionalist and a purist. And he also kind of saw these guys like Paul Orndorff and, you know, who had a few more years left in him and some of them kind of being discarded and going by the wayside. And he really kind of felt like there was more to get out of them. So, you know, that was also kind of a thing for him too that was important was like showing you wrestling, or that's what he was trying to do, is showing you wrestling kind of in the way that you remember it, sort of that kind of a vibe, like a more, you know. But obviously, you know, some things didn't turn out that way. But <laughs> that was his intention anyway, which is a good place to come from at that time. Right. Yeah. There's there's two kind of promoters that end up with you know checks bouncing and 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 people not getting paid. One is that like scumbag promoter that's just trying to take money from everybody. And the other one right. is the person that is legitimately spending all his money. Like, you're not sitting here. It doesn't, you, I don't think that Herb Abrams was getting rich while nobody else was, unless I'm wrong. I mean, I obviously I'll learn on, t- on, on well, Tuesday. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I think, you know, like, again, like he was the type of guy where he, he would bounce your check. Yeah. But if he like took you out to dinner, you know, he dropped like a grand on you. <laughs> right. You know, he was like that kind of a guy. And then, that, I mean, that's, an, you know, that kind of speaks to his personality right there. Yeah. But also like, you know, there, there were investors. Not all of this is his money. And then right. you kind of see, well, like, you know, that's an easy thing to do with other people's money. And then it kind of gets into like, the, oh, okay, you know, um, right. okay, you know, type of thing where, yeah. you know, if, if, it, if it was his hard earned money, maybe it'd be a different story. But so, yeah, it just is a little, you know, once you start to realize that, you know, where the money's going, you know, <laughs> it's not going into the promotion then it's okay it's a little bit of a different story yeah no I, yeah sometimes uh sometimes those demons creep back in right there you go yeah demons. yeah demons um <laughs> demons. do you guys have is there any talk of dark side of the ring season three yet i feel like season two has been a grand success so far yeah there's there's definitely talk um you know i, I think vice is has uh has uh you know wants to make it happen Obviously, there's a lot of uncertainties in the uh, in the world yeah. right now in terms of travel, and travel is such a vital part of the show. So we have to kind of wait and see what happens with the world. Um, but I think, yeah, I think I think Vice really wants to see it happen. You know, there's there's, there's no shortage of stories that that we would want to explore for this world. And I think um, you know, season two was really cool for us because I think it it really showed that you know. Um, Stories like Dr. D, which, you know, are, 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 you know, a little more niche, I guess, even in this world. And maybe Herb Abrams, you know, yeah. and, and it can kind of really show that those types of stories, you know, can do very well. So I think that'll that'll give us the opportunity to explore, you know, some even some even more obscure uh, stories if we do a season three. So, yeah, I think, you know, we have to kind of see how the world uh, what happens there. And then, if you know, and then if we can if we can, um, you know, make, make, a, make some good arrangements with Vice, and yeah, we should, be, we should be off to the races then. Look, however you have to do it, you guys have to figure out how to never stop making wrestling documentaries because I will just watch them forever. Um, I, do have, I do have a request uh, for season three. Sure. Yeah, please. Uh, the Heroes of Wrestling pay-per-view. Oh. I mean, to me, I remember the Heroes of Wrestling pay-per-view – one of my favorite things in wrestling, I, rem I, I, I did not learn of this later. I watched it live as a kid Wow! because they're advertising all these legends that are going to be there, and Yokozuna, and this guy, and that guy, and just, it was really my first introduction to how bad wrestling can go because I hadn't seen a lot of indie wrestling. I hadn't, I hadn't watched wrestling disasters because I was a kid and had really only watched WWE where everything looks so, you know, produced and polished. And to watch this pay-per-view and go, oh, my God, like, what's happening in front of my yeah. eyes? And then to see the legend grow after that, I have so many questions about the entire show. I want to know about how it was promoted. Yeah. I want to know about the guys involved. I mean, I would love to speak to uh, Stan Lane and Tully Blanchard about, you know, how is there one? There's one good match. On the whole show, like that, that to me is one of the weirdest parts of the show that you watch the Tully Blanchard Stan Lane match and you go like, oh, yeah, that's a really good match. And you go like, what universe is that taking place in that it existed with all this other stuff going on on this pay-per-view? That's great. Well, yeah. like, we really yeah, love I'll, like I'll the, uh, the stories that center around like an event. 
and that we can yeah be able to, I was just gonna say uh, that yeah that's great yeah and I mean yeah yeah and and I I was I was just gonna say I would definitely give you credit on that too because that one no one's ever pitched to us before I've never heard uh, of as a as a possible idea for an episode so that's that's pretty cool yeah, yeah. I just want to make and then like they say that. Uh, that that they were supposed to be, I think they were they were the promoter wanted to run them quarterly, except it was literally the the most lowly bought pay per view in the history of professional wrestling, so it was certainly a no go. And the, the main event got changed day of, and Yoko's. I mean, the whole thing is just it's just really? amazing. Yeah. Do you have less than even the <laughs> the UWF Beach Brawl was only like it sold between like a hundred and a thousand pay per views. Oh, okay. All right. Maybe it was maybe it was more than yeah. Beach Brawl then. <laughs> and it was actually when we were doing um when we were doing our uh, narration with Chris Jericho. It was funny. Oh, I was gonna say this story, episode. Yeah. yeah, he uh, he said that when he was young, he was one of the one of the people who bought the Beach Brawl pay per view. <laughs> and we were just blown away by that. That's awesome. Yeah, and he said that the uh, Chris Chris said also said that the audio. The audio didn't work or something in terms of like getting it. Like, like I, I think him and Lance Storm like kind of had some like pirate setup or something where they were getting pay per view or I don't know how like in Canada like yeah, they got yeah. it but like but like the audio didn't work uh-huh. and so they were like forced to do their own commentary for Beach Ball so somewhere <laughs> out there in the universe and I know Lance has tried to dig it up because I've been we've been trying to figure this out but there is a tape somewhere maybe it's gone but of Chris oh. Jericho and Lance Storm doing commentary on beach ball which i mean the the fact that now you've got a documentary about uwf on vice literally at the same time as chris jericho is doing commentary on tnt and you've got this tape that exists we need to find it immediately i know i know i actually texted chris about it the other day and he's like oh i checked with lance and he can't he can't find it (laughs) um everyone out there check your vhs tapes if you're in a place vhs tapes just check them Double check them. Yeah, check them and check them and see if you got them. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and like 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 one of the other just like funny little Jericho details on it too is that you know the the beach brawl pay per view took place at the Manatee Civic Center in Palmetto, Florida. That's where they did the event, and it was you know it was a major disaster. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chris Chris debuted. His WCW debut was at the Manatee Civic Center, <laughs> and that was the first place that he debuted. And he he told us the story of like when he got there, he like walked in and he was just like, "Whoa, this is where Beach Brawl was." <laughs> you know, like taking a moment to like to like That's realize so- like he's on he's on sacred ground. It's <laughs> yeah. perfect. Yeah, so amazing. It's perfect. Well, do you have any uh, now that I've pitched you Heroes of Wrestling? I mean, obviously, without spoiling, are there any stories that you want to tell specifically at some point? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's like a lot of stories that, that like Jason and I, and we did this for season two also, is mm-hmm. we held a lot of them. We like held a lot of our cards. We didn't want to show too much because, you know, we, we, we definitely, some of the stories we want to make sure we're pitching to the families first. Right. And, you know, make sure to get there okay first before we just blab about it all over the internet. But one of the stories that I have, thrown out there because I think it would be really interesting and it goes back again to the making of one single event which mm-hmm. I think would be an incredible story which is the the WCW event in North Korea I think would be uh, an incredible uh, episode. I've talked to Eric yeah. Bischoff about that a little bit just because yeah, I'm thanks. so fascinated by the whole thing. I think that's a great idea. Cool. Yeah, so that's definitely the one that I would probably put into action 
pretty much right away if, if yeah. we get the uh, if we get the go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome guys. Uh, you know what a fan I am of your work. Um, I think it's great. Thank you. And I think everybody should be out there uh, watching them. There, it's just it's just so I mean, the stories are great and the presentation is done well and it's entertaining and everything goes like lightning fast. It's just. It's a lot of fun, so I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys talking to me, and I can't wait to learn more about Herb Abrams on Vice on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, man. Thank right. you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.